you are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Hi, how are you? What is new? What is going on? Uh, we have been incredibly busy here banging out episodes. We've been trying to book as many guests as possible. Uh, my weeks have been just slammed. I think I posted a picture on Instagram of my calendar of how many dates have been booked for guests. Uh, it's fantastic. And a big shout out to Liam, who is on the East Coast doing all the post-production on these episodes. Uh, your hands are full, my man. And I know you're also taking courses and doing that at the same time. So big thank you, buddy, for uh, spending the time doing the hard work. And hopefully we can have you back on the show soon. I know your schedule is so slammed, uh, but it's about time to have you back on and talk about some stuff. Um, those of you who are just showing up and coming over from uh, the Just Shoot a Podcast, hello and welcome. Um, and for those of you who don't know, uh, today's episode is a strange one. I am teaming up with Matt and Oren from Just Shoot a Podcast, and we're doing a shared podcast today. So this podcast will be broadcast on my channel and on their channel as well. Uh, it'll have different intros and outros and reads and different music, um, but it's the same show. And what we tried to do, which is like the best way, here's some insider info if you guys are doing podcasts out there. The best way to get fans to know about who you are is to go jump on each other's shows and chat. It's really it. I've got a lot of different fans. I know a lot of you guys came over from Film Riot. I know I've sent a lot of uh, fans over to other podcasts. It's a really difficult medium to play in because there isn't a place. It's not like there's like a TV guide. Listen, man, I'm so old. It's not like there's a TV guide for podcasts out there that everybody goes to and they're like, what should we tune into? It's all word of mouth. And so every once in a while, it's great to go on someone else's show to talk about some stuff. And I love it because I get to exchange with other interviewers. I get to see how they run their shows. I get to see what the process is like on that. Um, they get to see how I do stuff. And together, we sort of find something really interesting. And that's what today's show is. Today's show is the really strange blending of In Love With The Process and the Just Shoot A Podcast. It's like this weird superhero team up that happens on today's show, which I dig. So strap yourselves in because it is going to be fun. Um, thanks to everybody that continues to follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and follow the podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process pod. Uh, great news. The bans have been lifted on the podcast Instagram. For some reason, they think I'm legit again, which is good because I've always been fucking legit. I don't know why they continue to hassle me about my posts uh, i do not have some third-party software taking over my thing and don't you hate it if you've ever had that warning where it's like you're using third-party software it's like i'm not would you like to report this yes please i'd like to report that i'm not that that button goes nowhere that might as well just be an x button for that window because it, it doesn't do anything it's like what the fuck it drives me crazy sometimes that i have to rely on these social outlets to tell you guys that we have shows I wish that we were still in that time period where you guys like to go to websites all the time. And I could just be like, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Every day, wake up, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check it out, see what we got going on, right? But you don't. You're like me. You wake up first thing in the morning, you reach over, you grab your phone, maybe you check your email first, but most likely you're logging into Instagram and you're about to do that emotional slot machine that everybody does every day. Swipe up, swipe up, swipe up, swipe up. Cool, fucking puppies. Cheeseburgers, great. Oh, check out this girl with her filters on. 
perfect, 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 right? You know what I'm saying. So maybe every once in a while, every Tuesday, you'll see posts from me about new episodes. Uh, click on those posts. Please comment on those posts. I know that you guys see them, but leave some comments on them because it'll tell the algorithm that you still want to see them, right? And while we're at it, please drop me some uh, comments on iTunes. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, scroll to the bottom on your phone. And I know you'll think you'll be going through all the episodes, but you won't. Eventually hit a point where it says rating, reviews. Leave a review for the show. The more reviews we have, the higher we're rated. It really helps out. It totally does. Um, before we get into the show, let me try to catch you guys up with what's going on with me. It's always hard because I know I'm recording this ahead of time. Um, I've been obsessed. I just have been doing my taxes. And I just <laughs> tallied up how much money I spent within a few months of owning a record player. I think you might say that this boy is slightly addicted to vinyls. Right? And it's a weird thing, because I know a lot of you guys out there, I know I have some friends that say the same thing. Why do you buy vinyls? You've got Spotify. You have all the music in the world at your fingertips. Why do you have vinyls? It's because of the experience. It isn't some sort of a hipster thing for me. It's the experience of falling in love with music again, because I was so disenfranchised with music for so long, because I felt so disconnected from it. The idea of like relying on a Spotify algorithm to tell me what to listen to next is so foreign to a boy that grew up working in music stores, like going to video stores, having somebody tell me what they like, walking into a place and hearing music playing in that spot. It's one of the things I miss about bars right now is going in and going, what is this track? What are you guys playing right now? This is fucking great. And half the time I like that song because of the environment that I'm in because of the location. I'm like, man, this song reminds me of that time we were in Atlanta and we went to this place. Don't you miss that stuff? And that's the kind of thing that you don't get from the algorithms. And so for quite some time, I've done episodes on it. Where I just get, just fell out of love with music. And I'm like, I don't even know what's out there and there isn't any good music out there. No one's really releasing anything that's great. And thank, thank, this is one of the benefits of having a great creative girlfriend. Gina got me this record player for Christmas, and uh, I since then it's like it's, she's like my crack dealer. Since then, I have been uh, on the streets every night trying to get more crack. I've been out looking and buying albums, buying albums online, digging through like really cool collectors' vinyls, really sort of falling in love with like Waxworks and all these different vinyl pressing places, uh, and I fucking dig it. And I love playing them. There's something really nice about putting a vinyl on and only hearing a couple tracks and then physically having to get up and then turn it over. And then the vinyl becomes almost like a TV in the living room where like you have friends over, you guys are you know, eating food, ignoring your fucking cholesterol warnings, drinking beer, and then just listening to a record. It's so nice. Ah, I love it. So you're wondering what I've been up to lately? Buying and listening to a lot of vinyl records. What did I get recently? I got some stuff that I really like. Oh, I actually got, of course, right? I, I actually got the new Power Glove vinyl before you can no longer find it in print. I love that album. It's really great. Anyway, so uh, yeah. Well, without further ado, let's get into the today's show, right? I know you guys are all here. 
You're like, how do we become filmmakers? Tell us everything. Well, just remember, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And anything that I'm trying to show you on this show, anything I'm trying to teach you on the show, anything that I'm uh, trying to convey to you on the show, that's a better way to say it, is just experience. It's just giving you that insight. The stuff that I always wish they would write about in American Cinematographer. The stuff that I always wish you would see on a behind-the-scenes piece. Like, how did David Fincher deal with that nightmare? You know? What was it like on set? I would do a whole podcast series with David Fincher on his uh, Alien 3 nightmare. And I'm sure he'd say no in a heartbeat. But on his Alien 3 nightmare, that would be a podcast series that I would want to listen to straight through. And if, if for some some strange miracle I was able to get him to be completely honest about all, like the entire process of that, that would be a series. Because there's so much to learn from that. And that's what we try to do on the show. So those of you who are just showing up, welcome. Uh, all right, well, that's it. Let's uh, get ready to get into it. So it's me. It's Matt Enlow, and it's Oren Kaplan, and the dudes from the Just Shoot It podcast, and myself, uh, two polite gentlemen with very velvety voices, and then a rough fucking East Coaster <laughs> hanging out. So strap yourselves in, grab those noise canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy the team up episode of the Just Shoot It podcast in love with the process. Okay, we're here with Mike Petchy, a man who is in love with the process. Mm. <laughs> but he doesn't film respect processing. it. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, respect the process is, of course, our friend Jordan Brady's podcast. So Oof. don't get yes. it twisted, It's all about everybody. process trailers. <laughs> Pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really you can cool. put the camera in like four different places on those things. Warren's yeah, the whole kind podcast. Of a, kind of a green screen guy myself, but that's okay. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show, buddy. Uh, it's been um, months of emails back and forth, but we're all we're also crazy busy. Yeah, hey guys, hey Matt, even in lockdown. Hey, yeah, hey welcome, Matt, sir. hey Oren, welcome to my show because we're both doing shows at the same time. So yeah, this is really cool. uh, wait, the people that say welcome to the show first, I think, are it's officially their show. Oh my god, I feel like we're just trying to. Like like, a, I feel like we're standing. Who's standing higher in the fucking bleachers shotgun. right now? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, fellas. Well, action. <laughs> well, so for, for Mike's guests, or sorry, for Mike's listeners, uh, Matt and I were directors and we do, uh, I, I've been doing primarily commercials lately, but we've both done a lot of narrative stuff, web series, some TV things, uh, you know, what else? Some music videos. I think Matt's done more music videos than me, especially in the last 10 years. But, uh, but yeah, I think we do a lot of the same stuff that Mike does, except it takes two of us to do what what one mic does. Hey, well, mm-hmm. these days, all I'm doing, fellas, is I'm sitting in my underpants in front of a microphone at my desk. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what I'm directing. I'm directing. Hey, just a picture, Mike. Hey, just a picture. <laughs> yeah. My direction at this point is what bowl am I putting the cereal in that I'm going to eat next to the computer all day? Okay, mm-hmm. that's it. Perfect. <laughs> well, I guess on that note is uh, you, you came, you told us right before we started recording, you know, that you had made this decision to move to Los Angeles mm-hmm. just a few months before COVID hit. Yeah. Uh, I assume you were 
on the East Coast, you were shooting a ton and then you came here and then kind of the COVID hit and slammed everything into a brick wall. Can you tell us a little bit about like what you were doing on the East Coast and how you decided to like kind of make the big move to the West Coast? Yeah. And um, yeah, and that that whole transition. Well, I mean, the shorter version of the story is that uh, I ended up going to film school in New York and I was trained in New York on how to produce movies. I always wanted to be a film director and that was the thing. Um, and I decided after going to film school and having to produce, you know, three or four short films in a city that I didn't have any connections in or uh, relatives in, I uh, asked myself that question, like, man, if I, li- if I stay here in New York, I probably will do okay. But if I go back to my hometown, I know everybody. So I can get all sorts of really great locations. I can get access to stuff. So I'm going to do that. So I went back home and I started a production company. And this was like... And, and Mike, where is back home? Uh, Boston. So Boston. living in Boston right. and I started a production company, Jesus, in like 2000. And so that was the year I said goodbye to a normal job. And that was the year I said hello to anxiety for the rest of my life. Uh, and then uh, started doing, building like a music video production company, building a commercial production company, doing a lot of corporate shit. Uh, just essentially to stay alive. And so I, every once in a while... I and would, you were directing all the stuff t- too that you were producing. Yeah. I, like in the beginning, I was uh, directing on my own. And then I had a business partner for years and we were co-directing for a bit, which got a little sloppy. Co-directing is always interesting. And then um, ended up uh, doing my own thing. And I think that it was such a exciting thing to do when I was younger because I was able to learn... Basically, while I was getting paid to learn, I was learn I was learning on the mm-hmm. ground, and I had my notions were correct. Not only was I able to get access to like amazing locations, and I built a team of people and an amazing crew from the ground up, and and so for you know what is it like fifteen years or whatever it was, that amount of time was spent just learning the craft. Um, but once you start a company, and I know I don't know if you guys feel the same way, once you start a company and you suddenly you have overhead, you've got an mm-hmm. office and you've got shit, you end up falling into the grind. And if you're, yeah. you know, if you're making that, I ca- mean, that's when you end up spending like two weeks figuring out like your it stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, well, can I read the sand disc, the, you know, the hard drives work or with all like, these and you're like, I'm not even a filmmaker anymore. I'm like an uh, IT guy. Accounting <laughs> yeah. even. Yeah. Or, or, or even saying yes to jobs that you wouldn't normally. Yeah. Uh, because you have bills to pay or, or, or you know, uh, like you said, overhead. Like, if you have any staffers, you know, yeah. the idea of rolling your eyes at something that's not as cool as you, you know, of a project as you want to be working on all of a sudden becomes imperative. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. totally. And then you, you, and you, it's easy to get lost in it because, it's, you know, in a, in a business where we don't get that much gratification, you know what I mean? So you start mm-hmm. doing these jobs and you do a great commercial, you do a really good music video and it starts to get a lot of comments online or we were winning awards because we luckily were doing it at the tail end. Wait, can I stop you for a second? Yeah. What do you mean that we don't get that much gratification in this business? <laughs> is that I, mean, a- I, I, I think my question is coming off as sarcastic, but honestly, I used to be an engineer. And like the reason <laughs> I wanted to move into film is because like I could show my mom something I made and she would understand it. You know, like I get like it's, that. to me, it's like 100 percent about gratification, even if you're making a corporate video and you're like, check out this fucking awesome, upbeat corporate music I put in here mm-hmm. and how it hits on this cut. Look like at it's this all time gratification lapse. It's pretty dope. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it I think it just depends on what it is that you here's the thing. It all depends on what it is that you want and whether or not you're acknowledging what it is that you want or you're hiding from it. 
And so for me, I wanted to be a film director, 100%. And I wanted to be making the type of films that, that got me excited. You know, like I'm not the kid that would watch Terminator on VHS until it died. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like I wanted to get to that point and I allowed... Yeah, by the way, he dies at the end. It's like when he goes into the <laughs> lava stuff. But yeah, go on. <laughs> not in the first one, man. Uh, so so uh, I, I got to that point in my uh, career where I realized that I was just hiding from it. I was hiding from actually making a movie. I was hiding from that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everything else just didn't have that same gratification. It just felt like instant gratification as opposed to like actual gratification. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You're well, working I think towards the, the larger goals. Yeah. The secret is that running a company is actually much easier than becoming a yes. visionary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing because about the- substantial me- ways to measure it in right. a way that it's yeah. hard to measure your creative Certainly. Career. I think also, just to to pump the brakes for a tiny second, I think that there's certainly this mentality when I went to film school of like, I don't want to have to worry about accounting or Mm -hmm. own a small business or any of that. Like, I don't want to be an adult, so I'm going to become an artist, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And to uh, the more you work, the more you realize no matter what, you can't avoid that stuff. Right. Like maybe you don't, maybe I don't have overhead necessarily, but you're still like invoicing, like managing numbers. Being a filmmaker is running a business no matter what, whether you are, you know, at the top of your game, the biggest in the world, or, you know, just kind of trying to like scrap a share grid career together, you know, like no matter what, you can't avoid that stuff. And so coming to terms with it and understanding that that enables your artistry i think is a thing that they don't talk about enough to young filmmakers totally man and let me be clear about what i'm saying i i I don't think that that's what was dissuading me from it i don't Mm -hmm, think i was mm -hmm. ever afraid of running a business or i didn't like running a business uh wasn't a chore to me i think at the Mm -hmm. end of the day it just came down to hours in the day and so, like, if you find yourself in a position where you're like, I'm going to go home, I, I want to go home and I want to write the script for this horror movie that I want to do. And so you're like, but I can't do that right now because I have to finish producing this commercial. I have to finish uh, doing payroll. I have to finish mm-hmm. doing taxes. I have to finish doing all this stuff. And then you start to ask yourself, why am I doing all this stuff if I can't sit down and write a script? If I can't go and shoot a movie over the course of this weekend, how did I find myself swamped down with so many different distractions and I did it to myself and Mm -hmm. ultimately did it to myself because I was like I don't think I have a story worth telling it for a movie so maybe I'll just do music videos and I'll practice the techniques that I would use for a movie on the music videos which was great for the first like three years that I did that but on like year seven and you're just Mm -hmm. like getting another brief from a band and it's a band that watched the movie and they just want to recreate. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if it was like set, if it was like seven <laughs> and you're like, okay guys. Yeah. I saw that movie yeah. too, you know? Yeah. It would be pretty cool. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to pay me. You got to pay me. Saw my reel, right? Yeah. I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> but then, you know, you sort of hit this point where you go, what am I doing? Am I hiding from this? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, really what happened was I, I almost died. So I had like a near death experience that, uh, you know, I, I know it's cliche, but I had a near-death experience that sort of changed everything for me. And, um, you know, I the story is that I ended up going, I went on an ice skating date with my now girlfriend, but at the time we were just dating, and I had never put ice skates on before in my life. 
and she took me down. I don't know if you've been to Boston, but there's this uh, place called Frog Pond, which is in the Commons. It's like where all the romantics go to ice skate. Um, and I ended up stepping out on the ice for the first time and slipped and fell and uh, cracked my skull. So I landed on the back of my head, cracked my skull, and I had a hematoma and uh, bleeding inside. And I was in intensive care for five days. And the doctor said to me, like, we can't let you go to sleep because if you go to sleep, you might not wake up. Um, and uh, you got to call your family. And you should really think about your life. <laughs> Wait, so, dude, this is a thriller, right? It's like speed, except if you fall asleep, you yes. never finish your movie. Yes. Yes. Um, totally. So you got to caffeinate until the movie's done. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, there's like a one. That's a crazy story from ice yeah. skating. Yeah, that man. is wild. It's romance you know, to the it's, max. We Sometimes we talk about like... Uh, people drawing a line in the sand, you know, like having that decision-making moment and how yep. for most people it doesn't happen that way. It's never that stark. Like, you know, most people are never going to have a doctor be like, hey, you need to reassess what you want out of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe on your deathbed, you know, like that. that's wild, man. So well, w- from then on out, were you like, I'm going to get out to LA, I'm going to focus on features, that's... That, well, no, I mean, was my, it that simple or no? No, my move essentially was, you know, you, you assess shit, right? Because mm-hmm. after five months in intensive care, I mean, after five days in intensive care, I was in five months of recovery from the concussions and everything. So I was forced not to, for the first time in like 15 years or whatever it was, I was forced not to work. And so I had to sit around and uh, process this shit. And basically... When I was in that room after the doctor left, I went, ah, all right, well, let me look at my life. What do I got? Family's good. I've got a decent company. I've done a bunch of really great music videos. I've met a lot of cool people. It's all good. And this girl seems pretty cool. She's sticking around, even though I fucking murdered myself. Uh, So that's cool. I never made a fucking movie. And so at that moment, it was like, well, if I get out of this shit, I'm going to make that my priority. That'll be what I do. Um, And in that whole period of time, because of the concussions and because of this I have to show you guys the uh, CAT scans of my brain. Because of what was happening to it, I was having like really severe uh, hallucinations. And I would turn to this poor girl that was with me and I was like, I need you to record this. And I would start spouting what I was seeing and what was happening. Um, And uh, through those five months, I actually sat down and was so inspired by it that I wrote the uh, first draft for what was 12 Cam, which is one of the movies that's in development. And... uh, that changed everything for me. But when I came out of it, it wasn't, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to move to Hollywood. It was Wait, like, were you still got, running the production company this whole time while you were having the hallucinations and everything? Well, my, my business partner at the time was picking up the slack, you know, and then I came out of it and I was like, dude, I'm changing everything. Poor guy I had to deal with that. Um, but when I came out of it, I was like, I've already got the team. I've got the crew. I've got all these people. I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to make this movie about a bunch of Russians and I decided to do it in a language I don't speak, so I shot it in Russian, and just do our damnedest to make this really great thing. And it was the best thing I ever did, because what, it, what I did was I just gave in to my passion. I gave in to what it was that I was hiding from for so many fucking years, and it was like, this is my job. For this period of time to make this proof of concept, this is my job, and I love it. And if you talk to any of the crew that was on set, they're like, you're the best that we've ever seen you. This is what you've been born to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that moment changes everything. And then... And also, to be fair, Mike, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that the crew that you're shooting with 
you've been hiring for yeah you know 15 odd years or whatever yep uh and so you've got all of that goodwill all of those favors that you can call in to be like hey guys let's make this as awesome as possible and so all of a sudden what would have been maybe a lower budget quote unquote proof of concept you're cashing in all of that goodwill hell yeah dude and let me also be clear I'm not dogging or talking shit about those years of prep that I did. Sure. Those years sure, of prep sure, sure. were in, like, incredibly important. Like learning how to direct a union crew on a commercial, incredibly important. Like learning how to deal with agents and managements with acts and artists, incredibly important. Like mm-hmm. every, that's what my show's essentially about, is like I have a lot of young filmmakers that come to me two years in and they're like, I'm really not successful and I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm like, dude, statistically, it takes eight years before anybody gives a shit about you. Mm-hmm. So, Wait, how did, where did you get that statistic from? Uh, where did I get that statistic yeah. from? Uh, I forget where I read it initially, but every person that I know that I've talked to on my podcast, I go, "When did you start becoming successful?" And they're like, oh, "I was right about here." And I go, "Yeah, that's like seven and a half years, right?" Yeah, seven and a half years. Yep. It just happens that way, man. It takes, and there are outliers. There are total outliers. That it's like I have a connection. My uncle works in the business. I've got some shit. You're like, okay, cool. But the people that like put their nose to the grindstone, it takes that long to make it in this industry, dude. Yeah, for me, it's 16 years, I think. <laughs> well, dude, We're on 16 right now, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but come on, man. I've seen your website. When was, the, when was your... Oh, yeah. f- I discovered Squarespace three years ago. I'm not gonna lie come on, that. dude. When was, your first, when was your first job that you got called to do? Or, yeah, that you got called to do. Like someone called you up on the phone and said hey, we think you're going to be good for this, or I'd like to throw you in on this treatment, or I think you'd be the right person for this. Well, my very first job was my aunt called me and she said, hey, I have a company that distributes (laughs) AEDs, automatic external defibrillators, and we want to make a video for our website. I have $2,000. So that was like my first paid gig. Um, And then... I promise promise everyone that's not what our show is about. (laughs) No, it's mainly about defibrillators. Yeah, I mentioned that they're automatic and external. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Um, No, but. Warren, you don't even know how many times I've cut this story out of the show. (laughs) What do you mean? How? You don't cut this. You don't cut the show. We have an editor. What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, Text it real quick. (laughs) I have cut it a couple times. We've told the story many, many times. Yeah, but Mike Petchy's audience needs to know. No, I'm just saying that, like, to me, it was like a really slow growth. Like, from that yeah. to getting to pitch yeah, on yeah, a real, com- to, like, TV commercial was probably, no. like, 10 years. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's no need to split hairs, though, right? Like, the difference between, like, right. you know, I mean, it's not working like- professionally. Like, you, work, you had a lot of, like, job jobs in Hollywood in between that and getting your first broadcast spot or yeah yeah and i guess the you know that the it's funny we were there's been this twitter conversation with jen mcgowan and stuff about this like the how many years does it take to make it and like my my take on it is always like you actually never think you've made it you know yeah totally Um, like you might you might have made it compared to like five like you from five years ago but compared to you from today you're always like ah but it's not a marvel movie (laughs) you know it's not a netflix show it's not a Super Bowl commercial. Dude, totally. Like, uh, totally. It's a, yeah. It's years of disappointment. Well, yeah, of but course. it's fun. And, and making a living and, you know, and surviving is, is, I think, kind of like part of the end game. Yeah. I mean, I think the one of the other big parts of what our show is about is, 
explaining to people that there's a big difference between being fresh out of film school and Steven Spielberg, right? <laughs> and those are the stories that you always hear, hear right? It's always mm-hmm. kind of like one of those two columns is, is kind of where all the advice is directed. And so, or the anecdotes at least are, are retold from. Um, but there's a big, big chasm in between of experience and the livelihoods and networks and careers that uh, thrive in that space. And so like, I think Oren's being a little cheeky, but uh, you know, the the question of like what success means to you is something that filmmakers are always tackling. Um, but also I think a lot of what Just Shoot is about it is about is saying, oh, making a living is the first threshold. Totally, right? totally, dude. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, this is a good show for us because we share a lot of that sentiment. I like, I think you guys are a little bit more gentle about it than I am though. At the, at the end of the day, it's like, <laughs> There's enough tough people. Well, but at the end of the day, no one gives a fuck about you. Like, no one gives a fuck about you until you prove yourself to be worthy of it. At the end of the day. And, like, if you're expecting to get in this business because you you bought a fucking red camera and you're like, I know how to use it and I'm going to get hired for this stuff. It's like, you might get hired for this stuff, but you're just going to be a gear rental guy. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to be a gear rental guy until you realize that you are one. Like, no one's going to care until you show them how passionate you are about your stuff. And you're not going to find that confidence to be passionate about that stuff until you've done it for a while, until you've screwed it up, until you've shown it to an audience and been completely mortified by what it is that you're showing them. Like, it takes that time. And in that period of time, one thing that I realized when I was on the deathbed is that when I looked back, I was looking back at all these little pins in a map. Where it was like, okay, what happened last? That's when I did that project. And that's when I did that project. And that's when I did that project. And all those pins were my life. And I forgot about what was happening in between them because we become so obsessed with making it in this business. We become so obsessed with this world and this art. And I realized afterwards when you look at it, you go, I'm only, if, if I'm in this business to either be the guy on stage crossing my arms going, look what I did. Or if I'm in this business to be on set commanding a crew of people, that's like less than 5% of my year. Like 95% of my time is this. It's prep. It's talking to people. It's writing things. It's learning things. It's like watching YouTube videos and teaching myself how to use a fucking scoring program. All these things are what my life is. And you have to really sort of fall in love with all that stuff. You really have to find, um, Make sure that you like doing that because that is our jobs more than it is hanging out on set with like Julia Roberts. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I'm so sick of that. Like Julia, yeah, like yeah, Julia, get your own crafty. Stop texting. I get it. I'm eating um, chocolate covered dark almonds. Mike, um, I, I love this. I'm very curious, uh, and I think after the pandemic, it will be the real test. But I yeah. think that I would add to the list of things that you have to learn to love that you don't think of as quote unquote filmmaking mm-hmm. is like taking meetings. Yeah, like you have to kind of love sitting in a weird chair and drinking a Fiji water also. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, I I wonder, don't um, you think, Matt? Like, isn't that kind of like, ooh, I have a meeting with uh, this production company, J.J. Abrams Production Company. Sure. I I, I understand uh, where you're coming from, Oren. Andy Uh, Samberg. For for Mike's listeners, um, before I was directing full-time, I was in development. And so I took a ton of pitches. I took a... kind of a lot of pitches that 
we'll say I was the first threshold, mm-hmm. right? Like I, the, no decisions for were being Central, made just for, some for Comedy context. Central. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, so so I was getting like pitched on like the you know the people who were still warming up and who had to refine their ideas and <laughs> we were interested in, but like it was me and a few other junior people, not the 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 giant boardroom with sixteen people. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not the red carpet they roll out for Chris Rock or whomever. <laughs> and so, uh, so Oren, to answer your question, yeah, I know that a lot of people were amped at the prospect of a, of a meeting, but the act of, say, pitching or even just schmoozing with people like me, um, imagine it, it's not always uh, something that people have a knack for or an interest in or, an, or a love for, right? <laughs> Like the act of developing something with a network or with a studio can be pretty grueling, you know. Totally, um, totally. totally. And it's it's a strange, strange, different thing than especially being a stand-up or, you know, uh, a director. Yeah, you know, like it's so different. I I always say, <laughs> I always think it's ironic in our business, especially for directors, because a lot of directors are like very introverted. <laughs> They're introverted little art students. Where it's just like, this is my world, and this is what I'm building, and this is what I do. And then you come slowly come to the realization that your job is the most social job on the planet. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. Yeah. it's like every one of your paintbrushes comes with their own problems. Like, this paintbrush has got wife problems at home. This one's got a, like a mortgage to pay for. So you're just consistently learning how to communicate with individuals. And you're consistently examining yourself and going, all right, how do I get this crazy shit that's in my head to come out of this mouth the correct way so that it goes in that person's head and is at least 60% crazy? Um, and yeah. so I love, you know, I, I really grew to love people. I really grew to love hanging out with people. I fucking really dig it. And I learned, you know, because when I did the first, uh, sh- my 12 cam proof of concept, I ended up getting repped. I got... Uh, management and uh, and uh, agents from it, which was one of those like hurdles that as a young filmmaker, you're like, that's going to change the fucking world. You know, if I get mm-hmm. an agent, if I get man- management, then that changes everything. They're going to be sending me scripts all the time and shit's going to be amazing. Well, I, <laughs> welcome to the new level. Like, welcome to the beginning of the next level. And you learn that that's not the case. And you learn about meetings and and what you seem to be describing is what they would call general meetings all the time where your manager in the beginning when he picks you up he wants to impress the shit out of you so he's like i set you up with a bunch of generals and you're like what does that mean like am i going into a room full of fucking military people what are you talking about generals and they're like no these are general meetings and i'm like so what do i talk about well we send them over your movie and maybe they'll watch it but you just go hang out and see if you like these folks and you know so to, to answer the question specifically though because i bet there are people out there who are like I do want to go on the general and I don't know what they're going to ask me. They're going to ask you uh, about your background a little bit. You're going to talk about film school or whatever. Um, don't spend too much time on that. They're also going to ask you what your favorite movie or TV show is. <laughs> Have an answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because what they're really asking is like, what should we make together? And so, uh, you know, Mike, you sound like it, you're lucky in that you can say, well, my favorite movie is Terminator, and that has some sort of uh, bearing on your career and your style and your voice and vision. Mm-hmm. I have said Alien as a comedy director <laughs> so many times you'd think I would have figured it out by now. Yeah. Like, just say Fargo. Just say The Graduate. Just say The Big Lebowski, stupid. Um, <laughs> I didn't say any of those. Uh, but so then that really... Um, 
that really blows the the conversation. It's a little hard to move forward from that. I get I get reprimanded consistently from my guys when I go into a general meeting as a horror guy, and I walk into a meeting and I start getting like really nerdy with uh, whoever I'm chatting with, and they're like, "So, what's your favorite movie?" In the beginning, I'd be like. Have you ever seen Beyond the Black Rainbow? And I'd start talking mm-hmm. about Beyond the Black Rainbow. And then my manager would call me up and be like, don't bring that up the fucking meetings. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like <laughs> well, why? I agree to disagree as long as the executive says yes. If they know that movie and love it, that's fine. <laughs> well, from his perspective, he was like, that movie never made money. And it's such a it's such an art house movie that's never going to make cash. So please don't put that in your pitch decks. Don't put that in your stuff. Like move on. Look at the sure, movies that did enough. really well. And you're like, okay, all right, guys. I know it's a business. Yeah, yeah. I know. Man. I love. I usually try out. to pivot to like things I've I'm watching now or I've been watching recently because I just feel like I can have like a more visceral, less rehearsed reaction to them, and hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, find something that they've also seen and. Um, and, and talk to me like a lot about filmmaking is why are we making this movie now or why are we making this show now? And so mm-hmm. um, it's weird. I've definitely been asked that question before. Like, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, you know, I, all of them. Like, <laughs> it just it just seems to me like not, you know, like if you say Die Hard or Forrest Gump or The Bicycle Thief, like, what does that tell me about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, to your point, Oren, really all they're asking is like, Talk to me about movies that we can make together. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. that's all or, they're or saying. Or show me how you think about mm-hmm. cinema, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, exactly. I also saw it as, and maybe I'm completely off base, but I also saw it as like, is this person someone I want to fucking spend time with? Is this person somebody that like, like he might have a great idea or his agent may have talked up this project. Um, but is this someone that I want to be on the phone with all of? Is this someone that I want to spend, you know, 15 hours a day on set with? Is this someone that I, that I care about? And I think more than anything, if I'm asked that question, I use that question as a, as a, as a bounce off point to just show them how passionate I am about films, period. But then I also throw the question back because I think a lot of people forget that when you go in for a pitch or if you go in to pitch a company on an idea for a commercial, that you're the spotlights on you. It's not like there are times where I'll walk in and uh, I've been asked to go in to pitch a movie. I'm not going to name any names because we're in the business, but I've gone in to pitch a movie to uh, a director uh, that runs a production company that I always respected. I thought he was really fucking rad. And I went in and I did this pitch and about 30 minutes into this, this meeting, he was the worst person in the world to me. And I wanted to jump over the table and punch him in the face and I walked out of there and I called up the, the my agent right away and I go, fuck that guy. And he goes, why? He called me. He thought you were really great. I go, I, I don't want to work with that guy. I'm not going to work with that guy. I'm not going to do it. And that was it. And it, like, I, you have to remember that this business, if you make a decision in this business, it's a decision that you have to live with for years. Like these things take forever to make. And so when you go into these meetings and you talk to these folks, you're also vetting them at the same time. It's like, I've, I've gone in to pitch horror movies and the only posters on the wall are all comedies. And I'm like, why are we here? What is going on? Like, Kevin James yeah. isn't in this. Like, why are we here? What, what's this You about? should tear those posters down. Show them. Show me business. All right.
time to take a break and do some ad reads for the show. Uh, as always, our good buddies over at Puget Systems, if you are in the marketplace for a brand new computer, if you're an editor, if you're a sound engineer, if you're someone that needs a machine and your current machine is just not cutting it, get that pinwheel of death, the renders seem to take fucking forever. You walk away and it's still doing shit, right? It's time to upgrade and you have to try to keep up with all the new codecs and all the new formats that are out there continuously forcing us to upgrade and spend more money on products. Uh, if I sound bitter, it's because I am. And I did that research and worked really hard to find a computer system that could be upgradable. I like the idea of holding on to a piece of equipment for more than two years. I like that idea. And so I found this really great company called Puget Systems. They are a West Coast, Northern West Coast company, family-owned company um, that build amazing PCs. And these guys give a shit. These guys want to know what it is that you do, you can actually build a PC based upon the software you use or are going to use. You go to PugetSystems.com, you can check it all out there. They will help you build the perfect tool for your project. They will help you build the perfect machine for your lifestyle. Oh, did I say lifestyle? Yeah. That's what we do all day. I'm fucking sitting in front of a computer consistently when I'm recording this podcast, when I'm editing something on Photoshop. I am always on a computer. So why not build a computer that does exactly what you need? Cut out those frustrations that you don't need in your life. Go to PugetSystems.com and see what it is that I'm talking about. Also supporting the show, uh, as always, is our good buddies over at Quasar Science. Uh, best advancements in the movie industry has been lighting lately, as far as technical stuff goes. LED lighting has changed the way movies are lit, TV's lit. Changes the way you budget your lighting for your for your uh, projects. Changes the way um, <clears throat> you put your crews together for it. It's an amazing thing. So go to QuasarScience.com if you're looking for a new addition to your lighting kit, your lighting package, and definitely check out their bicolor LED tubes or their rainbow LED tubes. And they have a lot of new products on their website. So go check them out. It's QuasarScience.com. Um, also supporting the show. Let's see who else do we have reads for. Um, I think that's it for now. We'll just do those two, but I think that's gonna be it. So thanks for listening, everybody, and let's get back into it with the dudes from the Just Shoot Podcast. I do think there's this kind of, it takes, a, it's not something that you have right out of the gate, like right out of film school or right, right when you move to LA or whatever, but there is this like attitude adjustment that takes years to figure out, but that it's, it's not about them doing you a favor by wanting to work with you, you know? Yeah. Because a lot of people are like, please hire me. Look at, look at all these great things that I will do for you. Oh, you like that? I like that too. I'll do anything you want. And it takes people so long to realize that they actually want to find people that, that they, you know, that you're the train that they want to hop onto as opposed to the other way around, you know. And so the, the more you come with like your point of view and the less you need them, the more excited they'll be about, you know, getting the opportunity to work with you. But dude, I remember when I learned that. And I, I like I, I, it's so hard to be specific because you don't want to burn bridges. But I remember when I learned that doing a commercial 
and I'm on this commercial and I, we, it was one of those moments where you try to keep your company alive, right? And so this, this project comes in and right off the bat, there's a red flag. And I'm like, this isn't really my thing. Like, this is not, I'm not the guy for this. Can you give us an example of what a red flag is? All right. So mean? like if someone comes into my space, I joked with the guy that I get, I gave the job with. A friend of mine actually got the gig to be the cinematographer on American Chopper. Remember that reality TV show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had asked me to do it first. And so I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And I helped him get the gig, um, put him in the position for it, because I'm not the guy that you're going to strap on the back of a motorcycle and drive down the road at 60 miles an hour, hanging off the back of it, trying to get the shot. My other buddy doesn't have <laughs> doesn't have a care in the world, so he's totally willing to do that. Um, and that's an extreme version of it. There are projects that you will come your way that obviously scream not you, not your style, not your not your reason for doing it. And you take those gigs out of desperation. And I've done that on corporate jobs where I'm like, this isn't my gig, and I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with this company, and I'm still going to have to do this because I have to pay the bills. And then you struggle to do it. Right. And you, and every job I do, I want to do a great job with it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this fucking awesome. I'm going to get into it. And I'm, I'm really working it hard. And then you bring it to these clients that are completely unappreciative and they start judging it. And you're just sitting in the room looking at it going, I don't want to do this job anyways. And now, <laughs> now I have to put my money into this to fix it because you're bullshit. And I didn't want to do this job anyways. And yeah. when you do enough yeah. of those, you go, I'm not doing that again. I'm not fucking doing it. And that's just the time. That's the experience, you know? Yeah. Does it sound like I'm a bitter prick? <laughs> no, it actually sounds like you're a confident prick. Um, no, I mean, I'm just kidding about the prick part. But yeah, but it does take, I think every, all of us, I mean, I know Matt and I have had the experience of like just killing ourselves for a job that we're not like excited about and then having that like moment of like, wait, is this why I'm here? you know, a filmmaker. Yeah, what, what's the big plan here? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, if I'm doing this, I'd rather just, you know, be a lawyer and make a ton of money and <laughs> hate my job anyway, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but, uh, well, so let, let's go, let's reorient back to like why you, you bound, you jumped from Boston to LA. So <clears throat> after doing the proof of concept, um, there, so the, the short, the shorter version of it is that I made a film that was 30 minutes long and I made a film that was 30 minutes mm-hmm. long because prior to that, I had made a, a fan film that was, uh, shorter than that, that Marvel canceled on me. So essentially that's the Punisher one, that's the Punisher one. Marvel came out and went, you know, to release this. It looks too good. It looks like it's our stuff. Did you make it before, uh, Adi Shankar's yes. Punisher fan film? Yes. And then his got put out. Him and I were talking for a brief period of time. And the only reason why his went out is that he, all, he had the backing of a legal department. He had the backing of mm-hmm. all that stuff. And my lawyer at the time told me, look, here's what'll happen. You can put this thing out and they may not come after you now, but they'll come after you later. So, like, you have nothing now. What do you own? You own a car. And also, e- even if, uh, you know, even if they don't, quote-unquote, come after you with a lawsuit, like, it's very easy for them to just, like, you know, flag it on YouTube or Vimeo or wherever with a DMCA suit. YouTube's not in the business of caring. Yeah. So they, they just take it down. So you've posted it, and then you've racked up 10 million views or whatever, and then it just disappears. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally. And so there was a lot of risk there. And so I, I, at that time, I had convinced my whole team and my whole crew to do this thing and the world's going to love it. It's going to be great because we had seen how the success of fan films and it failed. 
And so now I'm coming out of this head injury thing. I'm going back to the well again. I'm going back mm. to all these people and saying to them, this time is going to be fucking great. This time is going to be really good. Well, I was, I was like, all right, look, I'm going to do a movie. I'm going to take this cold open and make it into sort of an arcing little piece that I can screen in the cinema. And I can promise you guys that I will put on like multiple screenings here in Boston. You can bring your friends, you can bring your family, you can bring everybody here. It's an experience. It's not like showing up to a screening room to watch someone's mm-hmm. demo reel. Like we'll, we'll yeah, make this yeah. into You're something You're not just great. sending someone a link. Exactly. What were you line. pitching? Yeah. A short film or a proof of concept? Proof of what? concept. So essentially, originally it was going to be the cold open for this original version of the feature, um, which took place in Russia. So I just sort of built it out a bit. And Which is why it's called the cold open. Cold, exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I ended up calling these folks back together. We made this piece, and when I was making the film, I did the research online at film festivals, and it was like, as long as it's under forty minutes, it's short. It's considered for short stuff. It's like great. Made the movie. I was friends with a bunch of festival directors that I. Uh, called into the edit room before I was finished because I wanted to just get their input. So I brought them into Ooh, the edit room, which is sp- kind of a genius idea. Dude, it's super fucking... Heard. Dude, think about it because then they have exclusive screening. There's something great about being asked but by also, a director. If you take one of their notes, they're like, yeah, we got it. I mean, that's smooth. Yeah, it's genius. It, yeah. it builds goodwill and, yes. um, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and certainly depending... Uh, we have heard versions of that with like different festivals um, where you send them rough cuts, but... Or, right. or working prints or something. The the key thing being that you already had relationships with them. Exactly. But it's not a fresh relationship. Like Right. That's like know, step you, three. Step one is go to festivals. Yeah. Step two is befriend people that work at festivals. Step yeah. three. Yeah. Start talking to them. Yeah, yeah. And in, in between step uh, two and three, like, don't be a douchebag. <laughs> there's, there's an in between there where it's like befriend them because you actually like them. Don't befriend them with the idea that you're going to be doing this. Like... Uh, and so these guys came in, saw the movie, um, and uh, afterwards, you know, you're screening for, for someone and they're dead silent, you know, that whole fucking thing. And afterwards, I was like, so what do you think? And uh, he's like, it's, it's fantastic. I love it. And I go, cool. Like, what festivals do you think I should submit it to? What, what do you think it go? He's like, oh, it's never going to get into a film festival. I go, what? And he goes, no, it's never going to get into a film festival. I'm like, okay, well, what should I do? Can you tell us what festival he worked at? Or which festival? Uh, I don't know if I want to because it might kill him. But he he's for oh, like big fe- like a big bigger like festival that we've heard of. Yeah, and so uh, he was like, uh, it won't get in. And I go, why? And he goes, because it's thirty minutes. And I go, dude, <laughs> it says on every fucking website that if it's under forty minutes, then it'll get in. And he's like, it's not going to get in. It's thirty minutes because it's going to kill the slots for three other fi- films at the <laughs> at the short screening. Yeah. And you can't play that before a feature either. Exactly, and so. He was like, I'm like, so what do I cut out? He goes, don't cut anything. I think the movie's fantastic. So I'm like, so what you're saying is that I'm fucked. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, essentially, yeah. I mean, I can help you screen it in a couple places, but yeah, you know, you're not really going to get into the stuff that you want to get into. And Nowadays, so, you submit it as a web series to Sundance or something. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, so I had to rethink my whole thing. And so I, what I ended up doing was I didn't post it on YouTube. To this day, you can't see it online. The only way you can see this movie is if you write to me on Instagram and send me your three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, then I'll send you a link. But otherwise, you can't see it. Um, but what I did was uh, I wrote to a bunch of uh, people that were writing uh, online reviews and articles and stuff like that. So I had a friend write a review for it on, I think at the time it was Twitch Film or something. And uh, once she put that review out, 
uh, just with the trailer. And she said, this is a movie that Hollywood should be making. I got calls and emails from Netflix. I got calls and emails from all the agents and everybody just based upon that. The one article. review. That one review. And uh, that changed my life. So that, that that's very interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's a that's a version that we haven't heard before. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's that is interesting. Cause you know, I've done a lot of PR stuff for branded content. Like, hey, you know, Jezebel, you'd love this thing about entourage or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um but but the way you I'm and I don't mean this in a negative I mean this in a, the most positive ways, but the way you kind of leveraged you who you knew, like in PR and stuff, kinda Yeah. Well, helped build your career. Well, I do, because that came from what, after the Punisher scenario, right? So we made this really great piece. I convinced like really great music acts to put stuff in it. Um, and my lawyer gave me the fucking bad news. And I was just like, so what do I do with this? You know, it's one of those moments in this business that mm-hmm. we're consistently confronting, you know, like you're not allowed to do it. And you're like, fuck. And the lawyer was like, well, you what you can do is you can write an article about it. You can write an article about the making of it. You can talk about all the aspects that you did. You can talk about all the things that you think would be great about a new Punisher series and the whole thing. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, and you could probably use a lot of the stills and supplemental material and how you made this thing. It becomes mm-hmm. this write-up. Mm-hmm. And so when I did that, the press on it went crazy. And so like CBR and all these comic book resources, all these places were talking about how Marvel shut down this movie because of that article. And... Uh, the Any power reason of that not article. to get like a t- like a trailer out of it or anything? Uh, well, I did. I released it. Th- that's where I fucked up. So what mm-hmm. I did was I cut a trailer first, and I released a trailer online in the comic book places. That's where you got flagged. That's where basically. I got flagged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how yeah, I got totally. screwed. So, uh, at, but I'm happy I did it this way because now this movie is is that punk rock album that never got released, and so uh, weekly. And this is years later. Weekly, I'll have people writing to me going, I'd love to see this thing. I don't want to put it up because it'll never live up to the hype that has happened from the article. And so I really kind of learned the power of uh, persuasion when it comes to, you know what it is? It's like the old days of going to the video store, right? You walk into the video store and you go over to the new release wall and you pick up like the newest piece of shit that everybody's talking about. You bring it up to the store clerk and the guy yeah. looks at you and goes, like Michael Keaton? Yeah. He, 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 looks at, he looks at you and goes, why are you getting that one? You should get what that one's based upon. And he brings you over to the, the dusty section of the video store and hands you a thing. And you want it because this guy is passionate about it and this person is giving you like an honest human uh Review action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a person who used to work in a video store, I would, people would come back to me angry all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was that guy. And then like the, the housewife would be like, I can't show this to my kids. Stupid. <laughs> I love it. was actually genuinely a good lesson. I was like, Oh yeah, I guess, uh, I should think about what they want, not what I want them to want. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what these movies are that you're sending yeah. housewives I mean, look, out. It was with. like a Hollywood video. It's like not anything. It was just you know, standard film school stuff. You're like <laughs> walk into this back room that has pink lighting all the time. Yeah, yeah, Let me yeah, find yeah, you exactly. this little family classic. <laughs> Blue is the warmest color. Your kids are gonna love this. Yeah, yeah. I bet they would. Um, um, maybe that's why they were mad at me. Yeah. That is interesting. That's like, like how AFM kind of worked and i don't know if it still works right but it's like here's a poster here's a log line here's some shots like buy this movie yeah dude and then the movie's horrible but like they're selling the marketing right 
Um, I love that stuff. I mean, that's why I love movie posters. There was that period of time when I was a kid where I wasn't allowed to rent horror. I'd go into that video section and there'd be all these fucking creepy, like illustrated posters of a dude with pins hanging out of his face. Mm. And and it was just so magical, you know, and... um, you know, and then you watch, you end up renting that movie, and you watch that movie, and you're like, "Man, this is a real piece of shit." Yeah, sure, I, but the yeah. posters and the 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 art for it were just amazing. You know, dude, can I tell you guys this a very quick story? My friend made this. Uh, the Butcher Brothers. I don't know, Mike, Patrick, I, if you've heard of them. Like yes, yes, horror yeah. guys. They made this movie before they became horror guys. Uh, called Lurking in Suburbia. It was like a comedy about turning 30, which I think is kind of like, was a rite of passage at the time for filmmakers. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the movie did pretty well. It came out on DVD. It got distribution. And then uh, when it was right, they, they needed a new cover for the DVD. And they asked me to help out with like the photography and photoshopping it. And we had like the main actor from the movie, but then we just hired these like, there's there is like a, cheerleader in the movie for like one second and they just hired these cheerleaders did a whole photo shoot with the cheerleaders uh-huh. and this guy for the cover of the dvd that like sat at the video store it had nothing to do with like the people in the movie except for the one guy you know i love it um, dude yeah i was like are we allowed to do this I'm like yeah i mean it's it's it's, it's a vibe we're giving a vibe yeah, you know? yeah i thought you were gonna say actually i had a friend who used to be like the body double for movie posters all the time <laughs> cool. she, she would be like oh yeah i'm like on sunset boulevard right now and it would be her like crawling up a wall or whatever but then they would photoshop in the famous person's <laughs> face that's horrible yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it happened all the time she like it, she was like a working model and but except for that they would replace her face all the time. They just save the money on the makeup artist that day. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you recognize me? She just covers her face. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. She just shows oh, yeah. up. She shows up like a hammered, like it doesn't have like two black eyes, and she's, she's like, fine. it doesn't matter. It's it's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um okay, so Mike, so then you decided to move to LA? Yeah. So after after I got uh repped. Um, you would start to take meetings and I, uh, you, uh, mm. why are you guys on the East coast? Cause like taking meetings on the West coast when you're on the East coast is a nightmare. Yeah, no, we've both been West coast based for ever basically. Oh, um, yeah. dude, but yeah, so you were bouncing back and forth. Yeah. But yeah, also yeah. like just the phone meetings, you know what I mean? Mm. Cause you, you end mm-hmm. up talking to these guys later in the day here and it, mm-hmm. what that essentially means is that I've done a full day back at home <laughs> with production and shoots and everything else. And it's like 830 and they're asking me some serious questions at night. And you're like, man. Yeah, and it, yeah. so it just became really difficult. Um, I will say the one thing I, I'm jealous of two things when people don't live in L.A. but are still taking tons of meetings. Yeah. One, they probably have a house wherever they're living. Um, <laughs> That's true. And I'm always very jealous of that. True. I, I love my apartment, but I would love a backyard. Um, and two, when you are in town, you really make a meal of it. Yes. You're, you're back-to-back meetings. You've got drinks. You've got dinners. And it's all just compressed because it's like, hey, Mike's in town for just a week or whatever it is. So, like, let's get them all done. Whereas, like, you know, I take a meeting or, or drinks or whatever, like, a couple nights a week. And it's just like a slog. You know, yeah. Well, dude, and then <sighs> it's hard to be entertaining. Yeah, is what we're saying, Mike. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, the the th- you know the thing that I learned though is because I they would jam pack my schedule. Like I'd come out for a week and it'd be like fifteen meetings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you'd, you'd go and do it all. 
But at the end of the day, they really didn't pan out. Like there were a few that would pan out, but you're just like, fuck, that was exhausting. And that was a marathon run. And then just from the, being a successful producer back at home and being a, a, a person that kind of, I'm not saying I was the top dog in Boston when I was there, but I was a pretty high as far as the industry is concerned. And a lot of that was more so, I mean, I did good work and everybody knew the work was great, but I'd also throw like amazing Halloween parties. So mm -hmm. we would have like, 80 people crammed into a two floor house that we would light like a, like a film set. And the people would come in and have like these massive Halloween parties or I'd have, I'm a huge barbecue nerd. And so I, even out here before the pandemic, I'd have a bunch of people over barbecue. We'd sit around, drink beers and have a lot of fun with it. And it's in those meetings, it's in those uh, situations that you make the mm -hmm. deals that you find mm -hmm. the people that you're going to make the deals with or even i think to an earlier point you had mike of like not being a douchebag <laughs> when it comes to being friends with people yeah like that's that's the truth that's the reality is like you know um maybe we're a little more taco centric uh in los angeles than barbecue centric <laughs> but the the principle stands right like just being friends with people supporting one another being interested in what they're talking about and, and what they're working on um, and understanding when their show doesn't go or whatever yeah. uh, is is the nature of it. And I think that sometimes people, you know, when people talk about like fake Hollywood, quote unquote, um, they're really talking about just people being disingenuous. And like, I don't know about you, Warren, but it's pretty rare that you are around someone who is is using you or your friends. You know, for the most part, people are pretty genuine because they're sacrificing a lot Mm -hmm. to be here in the first place mm -hmm. you know yeah i think the people that are kind of turned off by hollywood are tend to be the ones that kind of had like a deal going and then it got canceled because there's a different show that's just like it you know or people that think their ideas have been stolen but none of the people that like regularly work in hollywood really think that everyone is like yeah and i liar. steal ideas non-stop <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and I think the other people that really have a disdain for Hollywood are what I used to be, which are the people that mm -hmm. don't have the balls to, to, to make that move. So back at home, I was always like, well, we could do this shit here. We don't need those fuckers. We could do it here. We'll do it here. And, yeah. and for quite some time, and that you're, was the mantra. you're right. You can do it there. That is true. Like, it's just a different shift in terms of what sort of business you want to be in. Right. right? And, th and then when I, when I say to folks, you know, when do you move to, to Hollywood? And this comes back to me taking forever to answer that question. When do you move to Hollywood? I always say, hang out there, spend your first, spend those first years there, build a crew, learn your shit, learn your language, build your toolbox, build your creative toolbox, have all your stuff together, figure it all out. It's cheaper to make movies where you live. It's cheaper to deal all that stuff where you are. It's a nightmare to do it out here in Los Angeles if you are trying to deal with location and everything. But um, what happened for me was that you hit a ceiling, right? So you hit a point when you're outside the city where you want to start making the movies that you grew up loving. You want to start uh, getting the cash that you need to shoot longer than two days. You want to shoot for two weeks. You want to shoot for four weeks. And you want to do it with the same level of quality that you did your short on. Then you start to hit those restrictions. And the reality of the situation is, is that you need talent. One of the hardest parts that I had uh, working in Boston was that all the great actors that I would work with and that were in my shit, a year later would move to Los Angeles. And so finding great 
actors and great talent became a real problem as far as shooting outside the city. So uh, for me, it's interesting you bring that up because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is the the casting. Like to me, the number one reason to be in L.A. is casting because I've been shooting kind of all around the country in the last couple of years. And from a technical standpoint, gear standpoint, like, you know, Mm -hmm. DPs, grips, you know, makeup artists, like art department, like. There's every, there's great people every single place you go. Yeah. Um. And a production designer on a horror film would probably do great on a drama, and would probably do great on a sci-fi film. You know, or they'll bring in the right people. Sure. But with casting, it's not like, you know, a 17 year old actress is gonna do great in the role of a 75 year old you know man, <laughs> right? Like you need you need specific talent for specific roles and. If you are in, you know, Boston's a great city, but if you're in like a smaller city in the, like New England and you're trying to cast, yeah. you know, a role, uh, you know, like a, especially someone like in their 20s or 30s, like, you know, I, I think you can find some, some decent like kid actors, like actors that haven't moved to LA yet, you know, right before. Yeah. But it's really hard. You'll audition 100 people and you might have one good one. And then in LA, you audition a hundred people and you'll have like 80 good ones, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, it, it's just like, it's just not even comparable. Like the amount of great actors that live in Los Angeles. Well, it makes sense though. And, and all the actors that listen to my show and all my actor pals, and even the people that I work with back at home, they would come to me and kind of feel guilty. They'd, they'd come to me before they moved and went, I know that we said that we do all this stuff, but I need to move. And I'm like, you need to. I feel so bad for you in your your profession because you're a depending you're depending on uh, a production you're depending upon a, a director or producer or team finding you and and yes go where there's a saturation of it go where there's money for it and ultimately that's the big thing about Los Angeles is that the cash for movies is out here and I'm sure it's spread around with like Silicon Valley and all that kind of stuff these days but traditionally the cash to have a movie made to get a green light to get cash going it's here and the elements that you need to get that cash are here actors right Mm -hmm. talent writers like all these uh top-end crew positions that are relying upon there being like a huge pool to pull from and so if you're an actor that lives outside of los angeles or new york uh your life's going to be really fucking hard. And even if you're repped by somebody in one of those cities, like I don't, I've got friends that are still back in Boston and their rep is like, you need to fucking move. You need to get out of yeah. here, man. Cause I, I, I can't get you on, you know, CSI <laughs> if you're, if you're not mm-hmm. able to show up to set or for the audition on a Tuesday randomly. And an actor needs to, an, an actor needs to be up for at least a hundred jobs a year in order to book five, of you know, five yeah. to 10. Yeah. And are there a yeah. hundred jobs a year for, you know, a 42 I, I year old or, man that's, in that's, Boston? Oh, that's low. I would say it's like a hundred to one basically. Hmm. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's a numbers game. And when you don't have the numbers, like in Boston, you have to be the best actor or you have to like play for the Celtics or something, you know, like, there, there has to be some reason that people are casting you that wins you the role every single time. And in LA, you can, it, it's a little bit more of a numbers game. You can go for, uh, you know, hundreds of roles and book a few of them. I, I, I mean, I'm, I have a buddy of mine that's uh, one of my best friends is an actor and he originally comes from Boston and he was just acting in Boston opposite uh, Leo in the new movie, DiCaprio in the new movie. And, uh, 
he uh, came back and was telling me about it. I'm not going to give too much away because he, he punched me in the face. But um, he... He is from Boston. I mean, it's he's actually very, very Of course, Boston. of course. Yeah, yeah. But he uh, was on set. Everybody was like, he's a local. He's a local. He's not a local. He lives in Los Angeles. But he originally was a local, and he still has his management in New England. So mm-hmm. he plays that game where the management will call him and be like, hey, can you come back? We have this position this role for you that they're looking for a local to do and he's like yeah i'll come back and do that you know what i mean right right well and the the local hire game i think is a very specific hustle um because local hire also means they're not paying for lodging right mm-hmm. like they could find someone in los angeles but they're trying to skimp on yes paying for airfare and an airbnb or a hotel room for you know, however many nights. So he's foregoing all of those luxuries because he can crash on somebody's couch yeah, or whatever. Stay with his family or whatever. Yeah, totally. Stay with his family. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And depending on the market, like I think some of those more, um, the a lot of the incentive states, the that those agents are very specific about like what a quote unquote local hire means because like uh, the lag time of like, flying to new mexico or whatever isn't something that they can really accommodate yeah um yeah it's complicated weird stuff okay well we know we know uh an actor and she um she works as a local in new mexico and she would literally fly herself like same day flights to new mexico to go down audition to prove to people that she works locally but she's she's an la actor she's worked a ton on tv and stuff and so when she goes there her odds of booking a role mm-hmm. are really high because yes. she's up against, you know, audition local technique, their actors, resume, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's worth it for her to, to kind of pretend to be local in New Mexico, even though she literally has to hop on a plane from LA to get there. To and audition. similarly, like, you know, this person has, um, you know, uh, a family that they can crash with. So, so yeah. they're out of pocket for air flights or whatever, but they're not, you know, spending a ton of money on hotels. Right. And the hustle, I mean, I, that makes sense because the hustle is that. I mean, to find a way to just get yourself in the position to be able to do what you've been training for for so long, um, I would never dog them for that. It, it, I think that you got to do what you got to do to get on the screen, especially if you're an actor, yeah. man. No, I, there's no, there's nothing bad about it. It's it literally, it's exactly what Matt said. It's the only reason they're hiring local is because the production is trying to save money. Yeah on bringing people in from other places. And so if you can provide them with that service of saving that money, then why shouldn't you play that part? There you go. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I know we have to wrap up soon, but I want to, um, I want to answer the big question of this episode, which <laughs> potentially should be the title of it. But Mike, when do you move to Hollywood? What is the, what is the thing that makes you move? Well, for me, it was a couple of things. One, I was doing some of the biggest commercials in Boston that I could possibly do. Like I had, did a Sam Adams commercial. I had my billboard, my photo billboards Mm -hmm. at Fenway Park, and I still had three roommates. (laughs) So you you sort of look (laughs) at that and you go, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so this business strategy is not really working out here. Um, And so that was a big factor. Uh, The other factor for me is that I was lucky enough, the girl that tried to murder me on my ice skates uh, ended up sticking with me. And she also works in this business. She's a photographer and now a director these days. Um, and so she was also like, look, there are limitations to the city. And I know you're a diehard Bostonian. And I know you will find ways to make it work here for you. But imagine 
how much faster you might be able to get things done if you're rubbing shoulders with the right people at this point. And so for, yeah. for you can hang out with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in LA, yeah. not just when they're back. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. How, how do you like those apples though, Mike? <laughs> yeah. That's what I really yeah. want to I don't know. have to just <laughs> hang out at Dunkin' Donuts to hang out with those guys at this point. Uh, um, but uh, so that was a big factor for me. And then more than anything else, it was trying to, trying to get being in development on these two features is difficult because it's development takes forever. You know, you have like that day one where you're like, oh my God, these guys want to make the movie. And you're like, fucking hey, you know, we've done it. And then you are like three years later and you're like, okay. And they're like, oh, cool, cool, great. We're still, uh, right. Still well, I guess to universalize it. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Matt. But to, to kind of um, generalize it a little bit more, Mike, when your listeners or people ask you if they should move to Hollywood, what's your like litmus test for them? I would just say like, have you, have you made stuff in your space that is worth that represents what it is that you want to do have you made mm-hmm. something that if you had an agent or even if you just had an email for someone and you sent it to them they could watch that thing and go this is what this guy does cool and you're excited about how you're represented you know what mm-hmm. i mean um yeah. i say do that at home do that at home first fuck around make your YouTube videos, do your shit, show it to your friends, do a screening with people that aren't important, realize how embarrassing your shit is, fix it, uh, do all that at home. And then when you hit a point where you uh, understand that it's limiting you not to be in your city, like it's limiting you, you're not getting the talent you need for your productions, you're not uh, getting the access you need, you're not getting the money you need for your shit, um, then it's time to move. And if some, yeah. some people have that foresight where they can see it coming. Um, for me, when we made the decision to move, I needed a year to clean up everything. So for me, I needed a full year to actually get into the position where I can make the mm-hmm, jump. Mm-hmm. Line things up and stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's a lot of stuff that I really love about that. Uh, the idea of tapping out, right? Of you, you kind of sometimes you have that come to Jesus moment where you just look at the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a similar experience, but with the day job that I had where Mm. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to make the money that I want to be making because I know what the, you know, the, the corporate mandated, you know, uh, increased cost of living and like, uh, raise caps are. Mm -hmm. So like I can do the simple math and figure out like that. I'm never going to, you know, make enough money to really thrive in this city. But, but I, you know, I, I do want to talk about, and think about uh, the idea of when to move a little bit more because I think that um, I, what you're hinting at is like the idea of like practicing in private, which I think is a really smart and really wise mentality to have of like make those mistakes on your home turf where they're not so costly. But it's not like when you move to Los Angeles and you make your bad YouTube videos that Johnny Hollywood is watching. Do you know what I mean? It's not like everyone at CA is like, well, we saw Petchy's YouTube channel. We're not liking and subscribing. Well, yeah, but, you know, but okay, let me, let me refine that a bit then. So I don't think it's about not being embarrassed. Okay. Let me give you an example. So when I was doing, when I was doing 12 KM, right, I had hired this entire production team. I was lucky enough to book a location from someone that I knew, right? So we bought this we got this giant warehouse that I was going to convert into a drilling site for this Russian drill team. And it was period piece. So everything had to be built. 
So I, I got this place from a, a friend of a friend who was already going to tear this warehouse down. So he gave me the entire warehouse for a month. So I had it for a month and I was only shooting for four days. And so then I was able to convince an entire production staff, like a whole um, uh, production design staff uh, that in a city that has like a really great tax incentive, has like a really a fantastic crew that is consistently working on big movies. I think they were doing like surrogates at the time, that Bruce Willis movie. Um, and so my production, my, um, my production design team was working during the day on Bruce Willis's movie. And then they would go to this building at night and do a whole other shift at night to try to build these sets for what I needed to do. So these guys were burning on both ends, burning the candle on both ends, right? And so I showed up one day and I had convinced my, my now good buddy, uh, David Cruder, to be a DP and he was coming in from New York and I wanted to make sure he was impressed, you know, and he shows up to set. And uh, I, I remember he got to set earlier than I did one day. And on the script, it says that these guys are crowded around this hole and there's this giant winch that's lowering this cable down into this hole. And so I walk on the set and I see him. He comes over to me and he's like, hey, how are you doing? And I was like, cool, man. And he's like, have you seen the set? <laughs> and I walk into this room and the winch is literally a camera tripod with a, with a cable running off of it down into the hole. And I have a fucking panic attack because I'm literally doing a Paul Thomas Anderson Steadicam shot that establishes the entire location of this place around this thing. And I have the Steadicam guy from ESPN who flew overnight and he's only here for 12 hours to do this thing. And I have all this crap like stacked against me and I'm staring at this fucking tripod, this, this, this aqua blue tripod that's hanging over this hole. And I call my, my dudes and I get on the phone with my guy and these guys have been sleep deprived for weeks. And he's just like, Mike, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. And hangs up the phone. And so I have this moment of like, what the fuck? What the fuck can I do here? What do I do here? And I, I turn to my assistant and we walk outside and I was able to go back on every one of these productions that I did every one of these little shows that I never would have been able to do if I moved to New York because I would have been busy trying to pay for fucking rent. I would have been busy trying to keep myself alive. But because I kept my cost of living down, I was able to do all these little shorts, all these little projects. And so I just mentally opened up my toolbox and went, how do I find this thing? And I had every right at that moment to start throwing chairs and crying because of everything that was built up to this, to this bit, but I didn't. And I rolled to my Rolodex and I went, Remember we did that music video? There's this rental place. There's a rental place around the corner that actually does real construction rental stuff. I bet you. Go on their website. Goes on the website and you know, like they have a winch. Fucking pr- right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So so but I think your point uh, is really to me what I'm hearing is uh, is about building a Rolodex and building relationships. But it's also and building confidence, dude. Sure. Sure. But you could do that other places as well that's that's my only point sure Do you know what i mean like you i think you can still uh the same sort of ment- like let's all put on a show mentality happens in los angeles and new york and london and all those other places I t- it totally does the difference between me and the four guys that i went to film school with we all had the same passion and those guys stayed in new york and one guy was like i can't do this i have to pay my rent so he went and he has a great career, had a great career at one of the best trailer cutting studios in the country. Cut trailers for like The Matrix, cut trailers for all that shit. Amazing career. Didn't get to make movies. 
And another buddy of mine ended up going off and literally got it in as a page at NBC and then became an NBC uh, producer and, and, and did all that stuff really great. He often talks about how he didn't get to make his movies. And so I, I think that at the end of the day, the only thing I had over these guys is that I was able to keep my cost of living way the fuck down. And I think if you move to Los Angeles young, if you move to LA and move to Los Angeles, those cities will swallow you fucking whole because it costs so much to live there. And if, if, if you have that cash and you have that ability and you have that management skill where you're like, I'm going to go do this day job and log all this fucking reality TV show footage and then I'm going to go home and write a short and do this stuff, power to you. It can be done. It totally can be done. But if you find yourself asking that question, do I need to move to New York or Los Angeles to become successful? You don't need to right away. You really don't. You can build your skills and make your craft wherever the fuck it is that you live and then you're going to surprise the shit out of people. I had people when I went into meetings thinking that I was from Russia. I would walk into a room and they'd go, what, who are you? And I'd go, I'm Mike. And they go, we thought you were fucking Russian, dude. And I'm like, no, I'm, a, I'm an Italian guy from Boston. I'm like, you're from fucking Boston? Like, there's something really great about being able to do that. Uh, so at the end of the day, I didn't get my shit going until I was late 30s. And I, there was that anxiety of like, fuck, I'm, I'm almost 40. I'm not making a movie. But I reminded myself, really, Scott didn't start doing his movies until he was in his fucking 40s. So there's, there's no time limit to doing this shit. So why not spend time and have fun with it and cut out a lot of the anxieties in your life and do it where you're comfortable doing it? You know? Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, it, I mean the, the simple version of saying that is like, Build your confidence and make things you're proud of and then move to L.A. because you'll have stuff to talk about, you know, and, and you'll have the confidence to kind of step into a higher role than you would than if you came right at the beginning. <laughs> and if I had said it that way, I would have saved us, what, 40, 40, 40 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I think there's a ton of ways to skin a cat. I think, look, that I, we're lucky in that podcasts are one of a myriad of ways of people understanding all of the different pathways. Yeah. And so I think it's great just to hear your story and to understand what it took for you to be ready to make it happen, you know? And so I think it's so exciting that things are going great for you and that you could pull off uh, what sounds like a, a genuinely impressive proof of concept. Thanks, man. But at the same token, I say this on my show all the time, just because it works for me, it's not going to work for you. There's no, it's not like we want to, we're signing up to be firefighters where it's like, I'm going to go to the fucking fire academy. I'm going to go put my hours in. Dude, all you can do, and that's why I try to have as many guests on the show to talk about this as possible, is you just listen to, you know what it is? You're looking for that moment that each person has and that they share, which is the aha moment. And you're trying to train yourself to have the skills behind you to be ready for that aha moment. But then you're also trying to train yourself to be able to see that aha moment and to be able to acknowledge that thing. And I think if anything, whether you're listening to your show or my show, the thing to look for is when that person learned to be aware of it, when that person learned to be accepting of the opportunity to, to follow their dreams. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think also another commonality is the uh, there's a that threshold of like when whatever it is you're doing to make ends meet gets in the way yeah. or becomes the limiting factor in realizing your dreams, right? Like I think 
unless you're born with incredible resources, which, you know, some filmmakers have, but for the most of us and for the people that, you know, our show is for, you have to make a living somehow. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, there's that really tricky balance in any filmmaker's life where they have to kind of decide to kind of take the plunge and, and know that they can support themselves doing their craft and what that means to them. You know, I think Orton and I do a lot of commercial filmmaking and that's certainly something that I never thought uh, I would do or had any interest in, frankly. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I think that there's always going to be trade-offs in terms of, um, what it takes to to make that cash yeah but all, dude also the stuff that you guys learn i mean i've looked through your stuff it's phenomenal the stuff that you guys have learned about blocking the stuff that you guys have learned about performances the stuff that you learn about how do i <laughs> how do i take this idea that comes from 13 creatives that had to spend forever convincing a fat guy with a cigar hanging out of his mouth with a fucking warehouse full of dog shit to make this commercial and to sell his product. How do you make something that's really great and learn Mike, from Mike, it? that's the other difference between uh, Boston and LA. We don't have fat guys. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you swap him out for, he's in like athleisure. He's in like a, a cashmere hoodie and like Lululemon joggers. Oh, and I'm sending the um, PA out for stop fucking driving my outfit. <laughs> I'm like PA, can you go buy me a gun for my <laughs> Hey man, Namaste. Yeah. You're in Los Angeles now. To See, you know what it is. Got a little asada on that grill too, buddy. I dude, I haven't had enough time to be a Los. I've been here for what a year, but we moved out here what uh, three months before the fucking pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I haven't had time to transform yet. I'm still an East Coaster yeah. hiding in a cave on the West Coast. Yeah, well. I hope you learned to like Tecate. Because, um, <laughs> yeah. It's not all tea parties here, okay? <laughs> no, I get it. like our beer. Yeah, there's no, there's no big beans out here. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, last time I had big beans. Um, <laughs> well, uh, um, Mike, we didn't tell you about this before, but we do this segment at the end of our show called Unpaid Endorsements, where we all just talk about like one thing we're into okay. this week. Okay. Are you down to join us for... Yeah. Unpaid endorsement. Yeah, yeah. But you guys go first. <laughs> yes, of yes, course. Will. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll lay you up. Uh, Oren, have I endorsed Nick Lutzko before? I think I have, actually. Nick Let me Lutzko? check. I, he writes funny songs on Twitter. Let me see uh, here. Hmm. I'll pull up the old letterbox, too, just guy. in case. So, so uh, Mike, while we're... Um, mm-hmm digging through stuff so it, it, the endorsement can be anything right it can be something philosophical it can be a book it can be a movie it can be something from your past or something sure um you know so like that's it's all sorts of stuff um i got one you want to kick it off Orn? yeah sure. okay great and i'm gonna go first because i I'm worried that Matt's is also a tweet, so I want to be <laughs> tweet first. Um, so I read this Twitter thread. I think I sent it to you, Matt. It's from this guy named Matt Ritter, who posted about his first open writing assignment and his journey to get there. Um, so his name is Matt, M-A-T-T, Ritter, like Jason Ritter or John Ritter. Mm-hmm. Uh, no yeah. relation. No relation that I know of. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I checked. He doesn't have any. Yeah. He says he grew up on Long Island, middle class, zero connections to Hollywood. I mean, zero. Like he went to law school and everything. And he just spent many, many, many years of his life like uh, 
trying to figure out how to kind of make it as a writer and how to get paid. He wrote like feature after feature after feature and, you know, something like he almost got so many things made and didn't or so hired to write so many things. And then um, it's this thread about just his perseverance and how long it actually took him to get paid to, you know, write a script. It's a WGA gig. And I just thought it's really inspirational because, you know, like like everything we've talked about in this episode, it's really easy to be like, oh, this person wrote a script and now they're making it in Hollywood. <laughs> and like to forget the like 20 years in between, you know, that person deciding they want to be a writer and that script actually made. So um, we'll put a link to it on our website, just shoot it pod.com. Um, and uh, you can see it. But it, I, I was just really inspired by by it. Cool. So, yeah. Cool, man. Matt Ritter on Twitter. Um, Mike, shall I go? Yeah, go ahead, man. That's it. All right, perfect. All right, so um, my uh, my endorsement is actually thematically appropriate because it is another podcast, another filmmaking podcast. Um, it's Gnome Kroll's uh, show. Don't tell. We've had Gnome on the show before. He's a buddy. He's a pal, mm-hmm. um, and a really great interviewer. And he, episode one hundred thirty-two, he's got uh, David F. Sandberg on the show. Oh, uh, I texted Warren. I was. I was so jealous mm-hmm. was it because uh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and also, um, it felt, it's funny when you have your own filmmaking podcast. Every once in a while, it's pretty rare, but every once in a while it feels like, oh, this is like an episode that we would have done. <laughs> um, and Well, I did no, tweet at him and, say, and ask him if he wanted to come on the show, and he never responded. So I, I've emailed him as well. So whatever Gnome's uh, secret sauce is, Shout out to you, buddy. But uh, well done. The episode's great. It's a lot of the questions that we would have asked um, and is filled with insight. And, you know, I think that for a guy who's pretty open, I'm talking about Sandberg here, he's he's still got uh, plenty of interesting tidbits and thoughts about his career and the nature of how kind of crazy accelerated it was and also how, you know, uh, insecure, he I think is maybe the word that he used, uh, he felt when doing his first handful of blockbuster studio films, you know? Yeah. So people that don't know what movies has he directed? He did Shazam. So he, he did Shazam most recently and the Shazam sequel, which I think he's working on now, but then, uh, Annabelle creation Mm -hmm. and then lights out before that Mm -hmm. basically, but it all started on a short film, right? Short films and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, he's got a great YouTube channel that I think people are probably aware of, but uh, it's worth checking out as well. But the, this episode of gnomes show show don't tell, uh, episode one thirty two is um is great. So that's my endorsement. He's great. I, like you guys, I've also reached out to him, and we have the same manager. So, so oh nice, so, look at that. So like I I still haven't been able to get him on the show. And he recently did a video that was really interesting, talking about how antisocial he is, which is on his uh mm-hmm. on his YouTube, which I thought was really fascinating. And also was like, oh, that's probably why he never got back to us. <laughs> <laughs> that that's why I was so I was like, dang, how did Gnome do it? Yeah. We should have told him we're also antisocial, and we'd love to talk to him. About yeah, it. that's why we have a podcast, David. Yeah, he's great, man. He's great. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. What can I endorse? Um, you know what? I, you know what's really kind of stuck with me is uh, having all this spare time now in uh, in our COVID environment. I, I've actually been uh, listening to a lot of uh, Audible, a lot of books on Audible these days, and uh, I've been doing a lot of 
embarrassingly so i've been going back and sort of reading all the books that actors read because i had one day where i was like shit i really don't know what they're studying so i can't believe i'm a director and i've never looked at this stuff so i ended up going back and reading a lot of books on acting but there were a lot of work to get through you know and i needed to find mm -hmm. uh something that was different and strange and i stumbled across this book called talking to strangers by uh, malcolm gladwell have you oh, guys yeah. read I'm this? reading that right now I, 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 are you really yeah, or oh, that, dude, you're so dry. Sometimes it's hard to tell when you're joking. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I bought it a while ago, but I've just kind of been reading it. But been trying to read more. You know, it's hard with Twitter yeah. and <laughs> politics. But uh, but yeah, I've been I'm on that all the Sandusky stuff right now. Dude, it's it's fascinating, and you know, I I would actually say that the uh, the uh, production that they did in Audible is fantastic for it because they actually get access to the real uh interviews they oh, get access to all that stuff so it's really well produced so it's like a really great listen it's a fast listen i think i went through the whole thing in like a two days two and a half days or something um it's really it's really interesting and it really sort of changed my perspective on how we process strangers and how we think of ourselves which i thought was fascinating and there was this i'm gonna screw it up because i'm terrible at this but there was this study that they were doing where they would hand out uh, tests to, uh, and I'm sure you've read this part already, so you can always jump in. They, they hand out tests to folks that they have to sort of fill in the blanks, answer, answer questions, like word tests. Like they'll start with two letters, it'll be like, you know, like CR, and someone might write crazy, and then they go through and they fill out all these tests. And afterwards, they ask them, hey, look, do you think that this test is an accurate representation of who you are emotionally? And everybody would say, well, no, I was just answering these questions. Like if I wrote crazy, then how do you know that my brain just didn't end up on that path and I was just writing crazy serial killer and everything else because I was thinking about a Netflix show or whatever. And he goes, okay, so you don't think this is an accurate representation of who you are? No. Well, how about this? Check out this form. And they would hand them the forms of the other people that were taking the test in the room. And the same person would look at it and go, wow, this person's got emotional problems. And the ability that we have to so quickly think that we are complex human beings but strangers are easy for us to understand and strangers are mm. easier for us to categorize it was incredibly fascinating to me. And strangely, reading through this book, it sort of brings me back to what I was saying earlier that our jobs are social jobs. We know as three of us being directors and having to deal with uh, meeting a strange fucking actor for the first time and trying to get emotions out of them. Uh, it was just an interesting study into how little I actually know about what facial response means and how little I know about what a stranger is thinking when they walk onto a set, or even if I'm standing in line in a bodega in New York City, like what that guy's thinking. Yeah. You, you know what makes it easier? Cover all these people with masks. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, easier, right. At that, point, you're, <laughs> at, that point, at that point, you're just judging whatever outfit, whatever yeah. lies that they're putting on themselves. I keep hearing people saying things like, I'm smiling under the mask to see. Yeah, sure you are. Where's the yeah. emoji? Where's the emoji that goes on the front of it? You know, it just smiles with it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a great it's cool. a it's a great listen. It's a great book, and like a, I'm not getting paid for those. So yeah, yeah. There you go, an unpaid That's endorsement. The only requirement. Perfect. Well, Mike, uh, uh, this Malcolm was such Gladwell a treat. Text that he says your checks on the way. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Venmo's okay. <laughs> yes. um, but Mike, <laughs> Mike, this was so great. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Um, where can listeners learn more about you and your podcast? Uh, so if you are listening to my podcast now, you guys already know, but if you're a newcomer to it, uh, the simplest way to do it is you can go to unlevelthaprocess.com. Uh, there we've curated all of our episodes. You guys are a bit further and been doing it longer than us. I think we're at a hundred and change. And I know a lot of newcomers come on board and they're like, Jesus Christ, what do I do? Do I start at number one? Well, we curate all no, of our episodes. Don't, don't start at number one. Yeah, I think we have a, um, a similar thing uh, where there's like a start here. Yeah. Oh, we don't have that button. I took it down. What a what a chunk no. I am. So, so our podcast is better than these guys. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, so... Just shoot it? Whatever. <laughs> we curate our shows based upon subject material. And what I'm trying to do these days is uh, the, the podcast is blowing up a bit more than just filmmaking. I'm, I'm trying to have it be essentially about appreciating all the access that I get as a director and all the access that I get as a creative. And so we've got a lot of chefs on the show. We've got a lot of musicians that we work with on the show. We, we try to make it about anybody that has said goodbye to that nine to five lifestyle and has turned into their fears and decided to, to run with it. And that's kind of what we do. So you can... Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, check us out there, or you can find us in Love of the Process on Spotify, anywhere that you listen to this stuff, you'll find us there. And, by the way, special cameo by my fucking landscaper, who continuously just shows up to my house to blow the leaves every time I set up microphones. Oh man, tell him oh, what's yeah, we up. We got a cameo by my, uh, some guy that's attaching baseboards to my kitchen right now as well. I got a cameo from Andy Dick, and it was well worth the money, so... Uh, <laughs> Did I mention that, my, that Matt works for Cameo? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. well, it if you seems wanna... like it's UGC. It's actually me. I'm, I'm directing all of those Cameos. <laughs> um, if you want to find out more about us, you should check out our website, justshootitpodcast.com. We're also across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. Uh, our podcast is about mainly directing, to be honest, filmmaking uh, with a focus on people that make a living as directors. Um, you know, the craft and the business. And we, we love to talk to all sorts of people at all sorts of levels. But, uh, you know, it's, it's mainly a filmmaking show. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm at OKaplan on Instagram and at SmiteyPileg on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me at Mr. Matt Enloe uh, on all social media, including Letterboxd. I've noticed a few people following me on Letterboxd. Uh, thanks, everyone. But uh, Instagram and Twitter are great as well. Yeah. yeah. Rate us and Mike's podcast on iTunes. There you go. Why not just do it right now? It's fun. Yeah. Okay. It's very cool. We'll talk to y'all later. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Sure. Thanks, Thank Ed. you, Mike. There's our episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, it was fun. It was a strange, it was a different format for us. Um, but I dig it. I liked uh, I liked being interviewed on my own show. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. I got to be a guest on my own podcast. How often do you get to say that? Um, and those guys are really great. I think their work is fantastic. If you guys uh, want to see their stuff, we'll post all the links below this episode. Um, but Arendt's worked with some amazing people on his commercials. Uh, he's done some, like, he's got Harrison Ford on his reel. He's got some really great, uh, he's got really great experience behind him for it. Uh, you should be really happy with that. And uh, Matt's stuff 
is also fantastic. His client list is ridiculous. And uh, these guys uh, have made commercials that I'm sure we've all seen, that you guys have seen. And the narrative stuff that they're working on and working towards is fantastic. So uh, love these guys. They're really cool. Hopefully at some point we get to hang out and have beers and, and talk in real life. Um, God damn it. I can't wait to get out of this fucking COVID. You know what I mean? It's time to get out. Hang out with people. For real. Once again. You know, we were talking before the show, actually. I was talking to the guys, and they're like, hey, do you want a video chat? Do you want a Zoom call this thing? I was like, no, let's just do audio. I find it depressing to just do the video chat thing and the fucking Zoom thing. And you're looking at each other, and you're looking at yourself on that same monitor, and you're just like, why are we not hanging out? At least when you do audio only, and you guys are only listening to audio, you're just imagining the world, right? Like right now, picture my place. Super clean, right? Beautiful plants everywhere because Gina's got a green thumb right now. You know, I'm sitting at this in this elegant, like, fucking desk and get this beautiful, comfy chair. And to my right, I have a whole charcuterie board full of meats. And to my left, there's like a frosty glass of beer, you know? Right? That's the reality of the world that we're living in right now. <laughs> you don't want to see what it really looks like in here. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, thanks to the guys for having me on their show. And I appreciate you guys coming on my show. Um, go listen to their podcast. If you guys are looking for other podcasts on filmmaking, we don't come out on the same day. I think I'm a Tuesday release. They're a Thursday release. So you can get the most of it. Um, and I don't know if they cut their show. I'm really not going to cut mine. So this may have been the uncut version of it. But go listen to their version of it. See if it's any different see uh, the difference between our production uh, but other than that thank you guys I got a lot of great guests on the way uh, big shout out to all the musicians that continue to contribute to this show very proud of the music that we play on this show very proud of the reputation that we have for being a synthwave new retrowave show uh, also I'm super excited because Gina just bought me a banging jean jacket Right, I got this really cool Levi's black jacket that I'm going to turn into my synthwave rocker jacket. Can you tell that I have so much fucking time on my hands that I'm doing this? So I'm very excited. We're going to go through the process of putting patches on and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's going to be cool. I want to have like my, my armor. I want my set armor. I want to go back to, to sets. Back on location. Um, so I'm very excited about it. But I'm also honored to be an outlet for so many of these acts that people haven't heard yet. I know a lot of you guys listen to the show like, what is this music and where can I find it? Um, I'm going to put together, I'm going to make a note. Uh, I'm going to put together another Spotify playlist of my favorite synthwave. Um, and we'll put that up there. And I'm talking to a few guests, by the way, from that genre that are going to be coming on the show. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, uh, I put up my goodbye to 2020 Spotify playlist. There's a lot of really great stuff on there as far as Synthwave goes. And I think I still have available the 2019 playlist on Spotify. What is my name on Spotify? I'll give that out to you guys. I think it's just Mike LL... Let me say that again. I think it's Mike ILWP. So that's Mike ILWP on Spotify. Um, and I think I made all these playlists public. Yes. 
So uh, I've had quite a few people writing to me asking me about this stuff. So if you want to follow me on Spotify, that's where you can do it. And I will try, with the hundred other things I do for free for you guys, I will try to put together a playlist of more uh, synthwave stuff for you. So that's it. I would love to just sit here and talk to you guys, but you guys aren't talking back. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to throw some pants on. and going to go to the grocery store. Fucking romantic lifestyle we live right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. And you will see me or hear me next Tuesday. So for weeks, I've been avoiding this guy's phone calls. Uh, You've heard me play a few of his voicemails on the show. But uh, I figured maybe he would stop calling if I answer. (laughs) So uh, strap yourselves in for a segment on the show that we like to call Have You Seen Anything New Lately? with my good buddy, Alex Johnson. Alex, hey, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? Why do you ask? You don't care. You don't care. (laughs) I was was literally opening my mail when I said that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good, Mike. How are you? Uh, Well, I figured I would have to start answering your calls because maybe you would call me less if I answered your calls. So uh, I, uh, I I believe it's call call me fewer is the correct. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy I picked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, well, what's going on? I, I assume that you've uh, watched the new movie or something. So what what have you seen lately? Well, that's a pretty good assumption. I've watched I've watched many new movies because it's a pandemic and I don't I don't have anything going on. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> but uh, I did watch. Um, I think it was on Prime. I don't know. This is uh, Brandon Cronenberg, who is David Cronenberg's son, I believe, mm-hmm. directed a film mm-hmm. called Possessor. Mm-hmm. Um, don't ask. Don't ask me questions about um, David Cronenberg because I don't really know a lot of his stuff. I just know <laughs> of him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but I watched I watched this and thought it was by him. I just. <laughs> Here's what I thought. I watched Possessor, which I'll get into the little I understand about it soon. But um, okay. I watched the whole time I thought it was David Cronenberg who directed it, but that I got the name wrong and it was always his name was always Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, how did I – all these years I thought it was David Cronenberg. It was Brandon. His name was Brandon. <laughs> That's the, that's the name he takes on indies. That's basically his second name. Yeah, and then like the person I was watching it with the whole t- like throughout the movie, I'm like, yeah, this this guy, this guy Brandon Cronenberg's been around for like a long time, and he makes weird movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then after it was over, I was like, oh, all right, it's his son. Shit. <laughs> but like, what are the odds that like a, you know? That they do father this. and son like the same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. In my experience, that's 
Doesn't it just doesn't happen? <laughs> it's just it's just David rebranding himself. He's like, look, everybody thinks I'm old, so uh, yeah. maybe I, maybe it, I should call myself. It's like um, <laughs> who's that country singer? Uh, Garth Brooks. It's like remember when he did Chris Gaines? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is the Chris Gaines of the Cronenbergs. Yeah. Uh yeah, perfect. I, I have this. I, I've been doing like uh, like cuck jokes lately, like cuckled. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not like a because uh, I just because I think it's stupid. But one that I've been workshopping is that uh, Garth Brooks is a cuck because he used to watch Chris Gaines fuck his wife. <laughs> <laughs> you get it? It's, it's strangely Fight Club too. It's like <laughs> multiple personality disorder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like see, it. I'm not going to get into how he wore jeans to the inauguration because I don't really care. But it reminds me of my family. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's like going to weddings where like people have Under Armour shirts on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, possessor. Uh-huh. Um, it's a uh, boy, boy. What a uh, what a mind fuck that movie. <laughs> and and like, but like literally, like it's so it's like Inception, but with like assassin. Like they're not changing people's ideas with dreams; they're just straight up murdering people. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's um, and it's not like in a dream world. So like, okay, so the the premise it, it follows this woman, and you know, if you know the name of the actors, just go ahead and spit it out. I don't know their names. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, this like British woman, um, she's like, I'm pretty sure she's supposed to be like a psychopath. That or she's just been doing – she's like an assassin. That or she's been just doing the job too long and has no feelings and is like broken inside, which is whatever, like a psychopath. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But her job, her, this thing she does is she – they use some sort of like biotech to they, – they kidnap these marks, these people. And then they let – like she – they put her mind into controlling that person. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the goal is they use that person to create a scenario in which that person kills their target um, or targets um, and then shoots themselves or offs themselves. So they basically create these elaborate scenarios that are murder-suicides yeah. um, to get away with assassinating people because there's no investigation if the person who did it is just, you know, dead next to the body. So... Um, so that's what's going on in the movie, right? And it's kind of like a—it's uh, another—it's—it's it's a you know it's dealing with like humanity and I mean one of my favorite scenes I think is is the woman she's about to um, you know she's away for work a lot but she's about to go home to like her flat mm-hmm. and see her her kid and her husband and stuff and they're really nice but before she goes in she's just like uh, rehearsing to herself like like <laughs> oh hey hey how are you hey hey. Hey, like, or like telling her son that she loves him. <laughs> like she says, she has to like rehearse it. Cause she's just like, there's just nothing, nothing, none of that. If there ever was any of that left in her brain, it's all gone. Cause she's like shot herself in the head too many times as another person <laughs> after killing someone else. Yeah. So it's like a deep, dark, it's like inception, murder, <laughs> murder, suicide. <laughs> um, and it's cool, and honestly, I don't know if I understand it well enough to say any more about it. 
I liked it. I would say go watch it. I don't even know if I can spoil it for you because it's it's like so abstract. Well, well dude, um, you know who you know who that actress is. What other you know what other movie she was in? Uh, give me a, yeah, tell me what movie. Uh, Mandy. <laughs> she was the lead in Mandy. Oh shit! Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I knew her face. You know what? It was tough though, because in Mandy she had like what long black hair. Yeah, well, she was like the uh, quintessential uh, like yeah. depressed metal chick in Mandy. But yeah, yeah, that's like... and, and I, I don't I don't know if I mentioned this before, but like her skin was red in Mandy because <laughs> everything was red. <laughs> but this movie, here's the thing about Possessor: it wasn't red. It was everything was red. So like she the that and that includes the actors. The actors. This one was I would say almost paper white. <laughs> like this, you could see like her blood vessels. <laughs> you have, you know like those little grass shrimp where you can see like their gut. Yeah. I I bet if she took her shirt off, I could see the, the poop in her belly. <laughs> like. <laughs> like they bring her to like biology classes and like grade school so people can see her, like oh that's how it works i was gonna um, say what her name was but now i'm not now i'm not gonna mention her name and you know I'm, the woman I'm kidding. on screen she's very lo- a lovely woman and a great act she did a good really good job i'm just making fun of her. i'm just happy i'm just happy she didn't have her sh- her belly showing because i could see her poop <laughs> well you know what i <laughs> No. We talked about this recently, but it, this isn't. I've been thinking a lot about clear-bodied actors lately. Ever since I I saw that Outside the Wire movie, <laughs> so I'm just I'm just into like, you know, just translucent skin. I guess I like to see. I, think, like, I just think it's I just think it's neat. I just prefer when when the people I know around me are transparent. But other I like this. Yeah, I like to see how the sausage is made in uh, people's personalities and in their physiology. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, I love that fucking movie. So, I have to sort of grit my teeth yeah. and listen to review it this way. I thought it was really great. Um, d- did you? I agree. Did it? Did, okay. <laughs> did I not make that clear? I really liked it. <laughs> Did Sorry, you, go ahead. Uh, well, was there was there uh, any scenes in it specifically that you thought were really cool that stuck out to you? Oh, shit. I mean, it was a beautiful movie, just in general. Yeah. Um, it... <laughs> I feel like the teacher just asked me a question and I was not paying attention. <laughs> I swear to God, I read the book. Okay, <laughs> I just I got a shit memory. Um, I mean, obviously, what was a, a visually arresting to me, like a lot, was like every time one of her like puppet, one of her human puppets, <laughs> was like forced to kill itself, <laughs> and like didn't want to. <laughs> And I don't know, I don't want to get into why that <laughs> resonates with me, but it, it's, that's like haunting, you know? <laughs> like, I never thought about it before this movie, but suicide's kind of, it's like, uh, there's a lot of layers there. <laughs> kind of fucked, kind of fucked up. 
Yeah. <laughs> Especially when the person, it's like not even really that person you want. <laughs> Especially when like there's a killer in your head that makes you do it to yourself. Yeah. 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 That's deep, dude. The movie was very yeah. deep. <laughs> deep. I actually, and you can probably tell, I studied literary, literary and film criticism in college. <laughs> I spent a lot of time watching films noir, which is why I know how to pluralize that um, properly. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I know about um, angles and the mise en scene and <laughs> wide lenses. <laughs> all I bet I bet Brandon used a couple of those at some point. That's all I'm saying. All those skills landed you the segment on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike and I have known each other for a while, but I did send him my resume <laughs> to get this to get this gig that pays in a one single T shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, so so you liked it, Mike. Do you, what was your? Let me let me flip it around on you. I'm going to be the host now. What was sure. your favorite? What do you, what scenes did you like? And then I'll probably remember what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll I'll feed you. Um, the okay, well, you know, joking aside, the shit that I really liked in it was this yeah. movie did better. It, 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 you could tell that I'm not a fucking <laughs> scholar. This movie, this movie did better with this movie did a better job of doing what they tried to do in Face Off. So like it was like a more like a more better job. Yeah, like a more better Face Off. Now I like, I really I really liked it when the actors uh, were able to transform themselves into the other actor. That stuff is fascinating to me because you're not mm. just you're not just playing the other actor but you're playing the other actor's character that that actor's developing mm -hmm. which is fucking weird that's interesting yeah and i should give a shout out to the dude who i think was in girls i think he i think he was like bright that you know that show girls yeah. the dude the, i forget his name the lead the lead guy in the uh, wait, lead fella wait wait wait, wait wait a minute wait a minute he, so you're what? you're you you watch girls all the time <laughs> you're a girls guy I uh, I had some roommates I think at the time. This is we're talking like season one. I I remember very distinctly uh, hitting an episode where um, Lena Dunham um, takes a piss on a train track, and I, I was just and it was like I don't know if she thought it was profound, but I was just like I. I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not, not it's not like, oh, girl peeing. I just was like, I, what's the point of the scene? Like, what do you, it's just, or, I re, okay, that was the last straw, but before that, it was like, the, there was like a long scene of her, like, sticking Q-tips in her ears and, like, hurting her eardrum, and I was like, I don't care about this. I don't, this is indul it's indulgent. <laughs> like, like, I'm not, no one wants to see me take a shit, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that interesting, but she thinks she is. I guess I don't know. I'm not. I'm not even mad about it. I'm just saying. I, I watched it a little bit. Yeah, okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't for me. Okay, but I, I remember the dude. He it's, was in uh, it. It's Chris, Christopher. Other things. Christopher Abbott. Yeah, he's fantastic in Possessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good, and he's got the same hair I have, so I you know feel a kinship with him on that. Immediate, immediate connection. <laughs> that guy's got my yeah. hair. I'm in. Thanks. Hey, same hair, buddy. <laughs> I ever meet him. <laughs> <laughs> ah. I know where you're coming curly from. Curly black, yeah. Oh, you got some curly blacks up there too, huh, bud? <laughs> um, yeah. So they, they were both good, and and you, what you said reminded me the sort of the way, and this actually reminded me of Twelve Cam a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, 
the way that when so when she's sort of puppet mastering one of these people mm-hmm. and like it, it gets shaky right it's, it's unstable she has like so many hours before it like all falls apart and she needs to like recalibrate occasionally and so when it starts to fall apart they do this thing where like it's like this montage of crazy visual effects and like they kind of like she kind of becomes liquid and turns into him. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you're kind of talking about. Mm-hmm. Or are you talking about like the performance? Aspect well, I was talking it? about the performance aspect because I was trying to, you know, elevate it a little bit, but the, I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you. The, uh, uh, what do you mean trying to elevate, elevate what? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, what do you, <laughs> the segment. <laughs> Could you elaborate on that? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Is this not smart enough for your show? <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, the um, the the practical effects in that movie are fucking great, and the whole yeah, no. melting of a face and the prosthetic melting of a face and like all of that mm-hmm. that stuff is just like it's like there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to uh, yeah. basically ins- it's going to inspire me to do specific things in the new movie that we're doing. So are you going to steal yeah. some? You going to steal some? <laughs> that's that's the artist way of saying that. Yes. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Well, as a writer, what we call that is uh, plagiarism. <laughs> well, well, it's in the visual world. No one owns visual, so it's ours now. Uh, uh, text is visual, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're probably one of them audio books. Yeah. Uh, d- dummies. <laughs> exactly, dude, I am. Come well, on. I, Mike, for the listener, Mike always complains about reading. He says... Um, his finger gets sore from, from following the lines on the page for so, you know, that's it. That's it. I, I have to wear a little brace on my fucking pointer finger when I do it. Yeah. His point, his pointing reader finger that he, cause he gets lost. Dude, you laugh about it. Joking aside, I am a fucking moron when it comes to reading books lately because I haven't, I'm so far, I'm so out of practice with it. And so if I sit down to read a book, I fall asleep and I went, this is how desperate I got because I'm reading some pretty intense books on the business right now and they're tough to get through and i was like there's got to be tricks to this and so i did a google search i did a google search on like how to keep your attention on the book and what was their first thing trace trace with your finger (laughs) you should write a letter to the author you're like hey really great info looking for tips on how to make your book less boring to read. <laughs> yeah. how would you recommend i read this boring shit <laughs> uh, uh well I, i'm you know i used to have to deal with that in my um academic days and uh we uh we would look up spark notes <laughs> i don't know if that's still a thing <laughs> this is back in the early uh 2000s <laughs> right uh, <laughs> I, I buy that you'd be a cheater. I get that. Yeah, I totally get that from you. <laughs> I get that vibe. I, I think oh, if we, yeah, I think if we looked in your in your transparent belly, we would see cliff notes in there somewhere. You know? Well, look, buddy. I okay. <laughs> I had to read a lot of books <laughs> all at the same time. All right, I couldn't read them all. <laughs> you know, in college, uh, it's not like the extra years aren't free. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i hear you i hear you well also, it was a catholic school so i had to like read like bible shit okay. oh, well just notes about bible shit that explains so much that explains <laughs> so much i feel like i just got like the ultimate insight into who you are i didn't know you went to a catholic college you went to a catholic college yeah uh i went to providence college in um rhode island yeah From providence yeah. yeah uh which is weird because like i'm I don't really give a sh- I'm not religious, you know, but um, at the time, 
when I was like a high school kid going to college, I was like super atheist. <laughs> and like, yeah, I like my family kind of wanted me to go to Providence College, and I was like, fuck that. They got a statue of like nuns or whatever on the campus, <laughs> like a church. But then, like, finally, I visited one day, and it was like a nice day. I was like, oh, it's, the trees are pretty here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it. You're in. <sighs> I, yeah, I'm not a. <laughs> I, I I must be coming off like such a dumb idiot. Dude, whatever <laughs> Stu made the this Alec Johnson, I'm happy you went through it, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. Thanks for being on the show again. Thanks for your uh, input. Uh, I'm happy that you liked it because if you didn't like it, uh, you wouldn't be coming back on the show. So uh, thanks I so loved much. it. Possessor was great. I might watch it again. Uh, I heartily recommend it. Um, and I don't remember enough that I was drinking when I watched it, so I might watch it again. <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that.